Well, good morning, everybody. Today is the big day. Is it finally coming home? We'll find out in a few hours. And um, what I'm going to need you to do for me is try and concentrate for just 20 minutes. All right, let's let's not think about the big game for 20 minutes while we try and uh, read from the Bible this morning. So let's take our minds off the fact it's coming home and let's focus on Ephesians this morning. <laughs> My name is Gavin. I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee Church Teesside, and this morning I get the pleasure of continuing our series Dunamis, looking at the book of Ephesians and all that Paul teaches to us through that letter. So straight away today we're going to be in Ephesians 5 and we're going to be going from um, verse 5 to verse 21 and the topic for today is righteousness. So the plan for today is to teach you a little bit about righteousness. What does this word mean and how can we apply it to our lives? Like many uh, religious words quite often we can say and think we understand a word like righteousness without really understanding what it means. So this morning we're going to try and put that right and define righteousness a little bit better. So let's read together Ephesians 5 starting from verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great. So let me give you a bit of context as to what we're reading here. See, here we've got Paul writing to some new converts in the church in Ephesus. He's writing to some new Christians in a relatively young church. And it seems that these guys are stuck in between their old life before they knew Jesus and their new life of being believers. And this is quite a common thing, isn't it? When we see people saved, when we see people come to faith, sometimes we can expect them to have it all sewn up straight away. We can expect their life to be transformed in an instant and everything to be different. And I'm not saying that can't happen, because sometimes that can happen, but for most people it's a bit more gradual than that. Things start to change over time. When people come to know Jesus, they start to look at how that is outworked and outplayed in their lives and things begin to change 
gradually, I think about myself in my early days as a Christian, I was very much between two lives while I worked out what my newfound faith meant for every aspect of my life. You know, similar to a situation when I was at King's um, a few years ago, we went through this stage where we got a whole load of rough and ready guys from Darlington uh, saved and added to the church. And these guys were like amateur boxers, like fighting men, um, criminals, ex-addicts. Like These were kind of rough and ready guys. And um, it was amazing because the, get, the way that these guys would talk in church was just mad. Like they didn't understand our middle class way of doing church. They spoke really brash and really rough. And you know, quite often they would ask to come up and share on a Sunday morning at the front of church. And we'd all be like dreading it thinking, oh no, what on earth are they going to say? <laughs> um, were these guys saved? Yep. Did these guys love Jesus? Absolutely. They were just trying to work out what their faith and newfound faith meant for each aspect of their life. Uh, and that was the context here. Paul was writing to address these guys who were in the middle of two lives. Like It's almost like he was saying to them, look, these are the good things that you need to pursue and these are the bad things that you need to do away with. These are the things that were part of your old life, and these are the things of your new life. He's moved this letter, this book of Ephesians, he's moved it from a theological place to a practical place. This is what it means for you. And the theme for this whole section is righteousness, righteous living. So he's saying if you want to pursue righteousness, if you're going to try and be righteous people, this is how you do it. What do we mean by righteousness though? Well, a good place to start as always, and as Amber reminded us a few weeks ago, is by looking in the dictionary and defining the word. So according to the dictionary, righteousness is acting in accord with the divine moral law, free from guilt or sin, or behaviour that is justifiable or right. And this is a nice description, isn't it? To be righteous, to be made right before God, is to live a life which is in accordance with his will. To live as someone who's righteous is to demonstrate behaviour which is justifiable and right. Now, there's bad news and good news when it comes to righteousness. See, the bad news is that it's not possible for us to attain righteousness on our own. It's not possible for us to act in a way which pleases God. The standard is just too high. It's simply not possible in our own strength to be made right with God on our own. It's not possible. The standard's too high. That's the bad news. The good news is this. Well, uh, righteousness, being right before God, being made right before God is possible for mankind, but only by the cleansing of sin, by Jesus and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. See that? This is possible for us to be made righteous uh, in front of God through the work of Jesus. That's the good news. We can, um, we can be made right, but not on our own not by doing anything that we can do. We can be made right only through the work of Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can be made right before God, not because of our behaviour or because of what we do, but because of Jesus. That's it. That's the good news. See, our sin is exchanged for his righteousness. It's a beautiful image, this exchange. It's a backbone of Christianity. We are made right before God because of the work of Jesus. The, the posh word for it is called justification. We are justified. It's uh, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us, because of the work of Jesus. We're made right once and for all because of what he's done. I hope that's helped you to understand this biblical word a little bit more and uh, helped to avoid it just becoming a bit more religious jargon that we kind of use without really understanding it. You see, Paul is saying to the Ephesian church to remember that being born again, being made righteous um, before God is something which has happened because of Jesus and nothing can change that. Okay, it's done. It's done. They're made righteous already. That is a work that is finished. But it's something that needs to affect every part of their lives. Yes, this work is done. Yes, they're made righteous. Yes, they're justified. Okay, that doesn't change. But the impact of that should affect every area of their life. As Simon so helpfully shared last week, the result of being made righteous is to not live like you lived before, but to live in a new way. Romans 12.2 famously says, do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't have to live like you did before. You don't have to live like the world lives because then you weren't righteous, but now you are. Then you weren't accepted by God, but now you are. When we're made right by God, we, we should have a desire to want to pursue a life which is pleasing to God. Now, it's important to be careful here. Okay, Paul isn't saying that now that we're forgiven by God that we will never sin and we will become perfect. And yet we can never think like that because if we do, we set this unbelievably high bar for Christianity, which people looking in think, well, I can never reach that bar, so I might as well give up. Christianity is not for me because I'll never be perfect. So, yes, we are still going to mess up. We need to have an awareness of that, actually. We've been forgiven, but we're sinners. We need Jesus. We needed it to be his work that led to our being justified, being made right before God. But the result of that is a great thankfulness and a desire to live differently. When we have an awareness of just how much we need Jesus, it changes our view and leads us to a place of thankfulness. Do you know, there's this amazing story in Luke's gospel, Luke um, chapter seven, where Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner, all right? And he's at the house of this religious leader and they're all kind of sitting around and chatting as you would, having a meal. Um, and there's this prostitute lady who's at the party as well and she absolutely loves 
Jesus, like, and she comes in and she's kissing his feet and pouring perfume on him and she's crying and her, her tears are washing his feet and she's drying his feet with her hair. Just like this most vivid image of someone just loving Jesus. And the religious guys at this party, they're shocked. They're like, Jesus, do you know who this woman is? Like, do you know that this is a prostitute? Like, you're letting this prostitute dry your feet with her hair and kiss your feet? Like, do you know who this is? Like, the people are shocked. And then Jesus hits a nail on the head. He tells this amazing story about two people who owe money. All right, two people who are in debt and owe money. One of them owes 50 denarii, the other 500. And Jesus says, well, of these two people who owe money, if both of their debts are written off, which one will be more thankful? And everyone's like, well, obviously the one with the biggest debts, like, of course he's going to be more thankful. And Jesus is like, well, yeah. In reference to the prostitute lady, he replies, like, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And I think that's an incredible message because Jesus is encouraging them to think about just how much they need him, how much we need him. We're forgiven by him and called children of the light. And when we think about how amazing that is, we can't help but love him. We can't help but give our all. Why would we want to go back to our old way of living? Why would we want to live like we did before? That's what Paul is saying here. Think about how much Jesus has done for you. Those who are forgiven lots, love lots. Isn't that certainly been my experience? I think about what my life was like before. I think about my attitude and my personality, the, the trajectory that my life was on. And I'm just like, wow. Like, Jesus chose to love and accept me. Like, Jesus died for me despite despite who I am, despite who I was. Like, yes, you want to bet I'm going to live with him, with everything. You want to bet that I'm going to give my all. I'm going to choose to pursue righteousness because I know just how much I've been forgiven. So then verse 11 in his passage is interesting. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them have nothing to do with the fruitful need, their deeds of darkness. Like, on the face of it, you can make a case here for what Paul is saying. Like, it could sound like he's saying, well, spend all of your time away from sinners. Don't go near sinners. Spend all of your time with Christians. Don't be contaminated by those sinners. And over the years, people have lived by that mantra. If we keep ourselves over here, we won't be contaminated by the darkness. So Christians have had their holy huddles. They've closed the church doors and kept themselves together. They've kept their kids away from any sort of darkness or any sort of negativity. And they've lived that sort of life. And you know, I can empathise with that stance. Yes, we want to protect ourselves. Yes, we do want to be around other believers who can strengthen us and build us up. But Jesus doesn't model that or say that to us, does he? Jesus calls us salt and light. He calls us a city on a hill that can't be hidden. He calls us to go around and be with those who need him the most. 
He calls our church not to be a museum for perfect Christians, but a hospital for those who need him most. And look, as our Jubilee value suggests, we need to be people who go. We're to go and live as people who stand out. We're to engage with others and shine the lights of, of being the children of God. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to keep ourselves separate. We're called to go and be around those who need Jesus. Paul sums it up perfectly in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you, check this out, shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. What a calling we have. But you know, the second part of verse 11 is really interesting as well. See, I think Paul uses this as a bit of a rallying call for Christians. He says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but expose them. I think this is vitally important. Like, yes, we could expose darkness by simply being light in those places and taking our light into dark situations. But sometimes, sometimes we need more than that. Sometimes we need to stand up and speak up when we see darkness. Sometimes it's not enough just to be light in those places. Sometimes we need to take a stand. And that is why over centuries, Christians have been at the forefront of many social action and social engagement initiatives. Orphanages, hospitals, drug clinics, schools, prisoner rehabilitation, all of these have been carried out and driven on by Christians. Why? Because we are called to be light in dark places and expose darkness. Verse 13 says that everything exposed by the light becomes invisible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's our calling. Listen, the last thing I want to touch on today, the very end of this chapter starting with verse 15, it says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and songs of the Spirit. Let's end this morning by talking about wisdom. See, remember the context. Paul's speaking to people who are stuck between their old life and their new life. What's his advice to them? Be wise. Be wise, use wisdom. Like Paul saying to me, like, these days are evil. You're surrounded by darkness and difficulty. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And because of that, we need to be on our guard and we need to act with wisdom. The way to try and strive to live righteously, to live a life that's pleasing to God, is to use wisdom. Think about what you're doing and the effect that that might have. And then Paul gives a really practical example, um, which might I add has been taken out of context for uh, many, many years. He says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Essentially, he's saying, like, use a bit of wisdom. Don't make the unwise choice to be getting drunk on wine. Pursue Jesus instead. 
make him your ultimate goal because the temporary high that you'll get from the unwise choice will pale in significance in the face of Jesus. Not what Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying, don't look at wine, don't touch wine, don't go near wine, it's evil. Then he's saying, use a bit of wisdom. And this is great advice for us as Christians. Engage with others, have fun, but use wisdom. And what's wisdom in this setting? Well, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of going after the day-to-day things that define the rest of the world, instead of going over the top and getting drunk, we need to be spirit-filled Christians who stand out and choose a different way of living. Pursuing God, that's what wisdom looks like. Hey, it's easy to get drunk on wine. It's easy to blend in with what the rest of the world are doing, but it's often harder to use wisdom. It's easy to follow the patterns of this world. Sometimes a difficult choice is to pursue Jesus. But let me tell you, if you do pursue Jesus, he will never let you down. He's worth it. Listen, wisdom is also about knowing um, the situations and the things that you struggle with and putting things in place to help you in these situations. It's about focusing on God and putting him at the forefront of your mind. We all have struggles. We all have areas that we find difficult. But as Christians, we need to, be cho- we, we need to choose to be filled with the Spirit and to go after God instead. We need to choose to pursue him. Check out this quote from Bible teacher Tom Wright. He says, if you don't want your garden to grow weeds, one of the best ways is to keep it well stocked with strong, sturdy flowers and shrubs. If you don't want your heart and your mind to go wandering off into the realms of darkness, one of the best ways is to keep them well stocked with wise and thankful themes so that words of comfort, guidance and good judgment come bubbling up unbidden from memory and subconscious. That's so true. Instead of focusing on the areas of our lives that we struggle with and face difficulty with, why not focus on Jesus? Pursue him above all else. Put your mind on him first and foremost. That's what it looks like to use wisdom. Maybe that's your take-home point this morning. Maybe there's an area of your life that you need to start using a bit of wisdom in. Is there an unhealthy unhealthy friendship or relationship that you need to address? Is there a part of your life that keeps causing you a slip that you need to share with someone else? Is there something that you get in your mind and a habit of focusing on above God? Can I encourage you this morning to use that wisdom which Paul talks about and pursue God, pursue a life of righteous living. As I said earlier, those who have been forgiven lots will love lots. Think about how much difference Jesus has made in your life. He gives you meaning, he gives you purpose, he gives you joy, he gives you freedom, he gives you life to the full. He is literally the best thing that can ever happen to you and anything and everything that the world offers will pale in significance in comparison with Jesus. He is the one thing that you need. Hear that this morning.
hear that this morning from someone who knows the impact that following Jesus can have on your life. Listen, everything else that the world offers will always fall short of Jesus. Always. Go after him above all else. Go after him with your time, with your motivation, with your finance, with your energy. Live a life that is pleasing for him because that is the only thing that can ever really satisfy. That's the message this morning. Listen, it's a simple one, but then again, it always is, isn't it? It's about Jesus. Look, we're going to end of a worship song this morning which declares that Jesus is enough. Nothing else in the world compares to him. No matter what we face, no matter what happens, no matter what we're tempted with, he is enough. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are enough. God, I thank you so much that nothing else in this world compares to you. Lord, I just want to pray for each of us. Would you help us this morning to fix our eyes on you, Lord? Fix our eyes on the good and perfect one, Lord. Help us to not pursue the things of this world which will lead to disappointment, but to seek you and your faith in every situation because you're the greatest thing that we could ever pursue. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It's coming home. <laughs>